we have good, strong investors. So they have been fully understanding the challenge we had, kind of helping us financially and supporting us. And I think that's super important to have strong investors when you're building a startup that believe in your visions and where you're going. But also when tragic things hit you, like a pandemic, for example, that uh, they're still backing you through those process. Podcast Junkies, episode 312. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to this show, first-time listeners, I'd like to roll out the red carpet. This is the show where we search out interesting voices in the world of podcasting and get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows, talk about their businesses as it relates to podcasting and whatever else is on their mind. If you are a returning listener, if you've been here since episode one, or you've just been listening for the past couple of episodes, as always, I'm super grateful for you taking the time out of your busy day to listen to these fascinating discussions with people that really light me up and really help me to explore what's happening in this world of podcasting. Most of the time as podcasters, but in the case of this episode this week, it's someone who's doing amazing work with his team to support the world of podcasting. In case you missed last week's episode, I spoke to Hector Santiesteban. He's a content creator. He's the podcast host. He started his journey in the field of content creation in the eighth grade, if you can believe that. And he's been working on a lot of different projects. He owns his own podcast agency. He started a podcast called Front Row Dads, and he helps coaches and experts with their interview shows and focuses on stories of everyday podcasters. We had a fascinating discussion on his entrepreneurial journey, the lessons he's learned from direct sales and also his father's entrepreneurial journey. He's now focused on helping others learn and grow, and I'm super grateful we took our discussion from Twitter to the podcast and had this lively discussion, which I know you'll enjoy, so make sure you check that out if you haven't already. This week, we speak with Jonas Rind. He's the co-founder and CEO of Nemono, and he joins the show to share his thoughts on the potential of podcasting and his extensive experience with immersive audio, working at companies such as WebEx and Cisco. He's got an extensive entrepreneurial leadership track record. And after this discussion, it was clear that with the experienced team he's put together, I get the sense that he's one of the few folks that can understand the technology, podcasting, the innovations happening in the space, in-room web conferencing from his time at WebEx. It's really interesting how everything has been coming together for him and for Nemono. And it was really exciting when the team reached out to me, to get him scheduled on the show. I was really looking forward to this conversation. If you're not familiar with Nemono, it allows four users to record high-quality audio with the push of just one button and automatically upload it to the cloud. What's fascinating about this challenging use case is for anyone who has any experience in the podcasting space, it's one of the first questions I'm asked when people are curious about in-room recording, this idea of the bleed from the different microphones being caught in the other recordings. And what I love about this conversation is how Jonas is explaining how they've been able to solve for this problem. He walks us through the tech behind the unit and the microphones, and we learn about his journey as well, how he's been able to apply his decades of leadership and management to this point, how he was coaxed out of retirement to work on this project, and his thoughts on what keeps him innovating. He's fascinated by the worlds of blockchain, crypto, and AI. And it was a really mind-expanding conversation, which I know you'll love. As always, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. And I'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Jonas, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. 
This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. So Jonas Rinde, co-founder and CEO of Nemono, thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you. Happy to be here today. So for the purposes of the listener who is, doesn't have the visual, where are you calling in from? Calling from my home office in Norway, in Oslo. So okay, Peter, far from you. So. And uh, I'm in, in my, uh, my girlfriend's parents' cabin, which would explain all the, the wood paneling behind me. So. <laughs> looks like a sauna from here, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks like a little sauna. That makes a lot of sense. Did you grow up in Oslo? No, so I'm originally from Sweden, so I'm grown up north of Stockholm on the east coast of Sweden. So, Okay. What brought you to Norway? What brought me to Norway is the fantastic mountains here and the fjords. So I'm a big fan of uh, spending my spare time in the mountains, mountain biking or skiing. And what's, uh, for someone that's never been, you know, what would you say is one of the highlights of the city? The highlight is uh, the closeness of the nature. So you have easy access to the Oslo Fjord where you can go sailing or swimming. And then you have north of Oslo, you have uh, the forest. You even have a ski resort in the center of Oslo. It's pretty cool. You can take the tram or the subway, so to say, all the way to the top. It's pretty convenient for nature lovers, so to say. I was going to ask, do you consider yourself an outdoor person? Yeah, but the funny thing is I spend most of my time <laughs> indoors, but that's because it's work-related. But yeah, I'd rather spend my time uh, outdoors. Yeah. So it was interesting to see a bit of your history and, and how you got started and I'm a child of the 80s and obviously a big fan of technology. So I'm, I'm curious for you, growing up in, in the time that you did, what your earliest memory is of your first experience with the internet? Oh, yeah. That's uh, way back uh, before the internet. So that was the, the BBS, the bulletin board system. So okay. I had my first paid job creating ANSI graphics. So that was for, for the landing page back in the day. So it's been pretty cool to following it from using modems to have one-on-one connections to where we are today. So, yeah. Did you always have a passion for technology growing up? Oh, yeah. It's been, uh, I mean, if you look back into my child, kind of, what do you call it, playbooks? It's all been uh, drawing cars and boats and uh, snowmobiles and what have you. And like moving on into very big interest in music. So getting into building your own speakers, amplifiers, then computers came along, interested into that and what you could kind of create out of that technology. So I've been merely kind of focused on the, on the creative process and how technology can help you there in foster and create ideas and further on now even, you know, creating awesome experience and products for humans. Do you remember your first computer? Yes, it was a Commodore 64. <laughs> so, okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm not sure if the listeners of the younger generation know what that is and how it worked, but it was an interesting time, so to say. You needed to sit and wait by the TV while your games were loading, and there was an insane techno music sound coming out of the speakers while loading the games. And it could take, you know, 15 minutes or something like that. And you, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, I remember. So your first hard drive was a cassette deck? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But, you know, I, gotta, I mean, if I remember back, you know, the game has such a gameplay. And uh, maybe versus today when it maybe gets too advanced or too, too complex. So I think still, you know, in terms of joy of playing, it was great fun back in the days where, uh, yeah. 
So those were the early days of, of computing. What was your early ex experience when you first discovered the magic of the, the internet itself? The internet itself was more like when school and access to computer wasn't that you know available at the time. So mostly in the library. But my experience on that was uh, searching for things, searching for information, learning. And of course, in parallel, car games, simulation car games was pretty great fun as well, uh, using the computer. And also, I was early into to doing 3D, 3D renderings. Okay. So it was when you needed to code the object, something called Pav Ray. So you did ray tracing of objects and then kind of follow the line getting into 3D Studio Max and all the other kind of 3D design programs. In the beginning, same thing, you know. The, we did a lot of waiting back in the days. We had to wait for the 3D <laughs> models to be rendered. And, you know, with the 386 or 486 computer back in the days, it could take days before you see the result of what you have kind of created using code only. So, yeah. Yeah. And so it seems like that's been a consistent thread to always have this passion for technology. I'm wondering, as it relates to what you're creating with Nomono, if, what your experience was with podcasting when you first heard about it, or if that's something that's when that became on your radar? Yeah, podcasting for me personally has been on the radar since I'm a pretty kind of big Apple fanboy. So okay. the first experience was, you know, Apple podcast and using the back in the days, the iPod for that. And it was also similar to back in the days in school with libraries and you know, learning things, hearing stories. And I was found that being interesting and still are. Then when you fast forward a few years, I worked a lot in the video conferencing industry. And the fun part with that was pretty challenging user scenarios and user experience, especially you know, solving a good experience with technology in meeting rooms. And you yeah. know, after being doing that for some years, started to look into other areas where it's been kind of a status quo and kind of found out you know, in the workflow of recording high quality audio, from my perspective, it hasn't happened so much. Because in the video conferencing, we work both with audio and video, and we work with the cloud, and we're starting to utilize AI as well. But I want to kind of look into the parallel universe of, of the audio workflow and you know the way podcasts is being created. At least me and my co-founder, we saw a big opportunity there in how we could make it a more appealing experience and, of course, make it much more, more easier. But you know the key thing is still keeping high quality. So uh, that's what's kind of starting point and at the same time we also saw this wave coming with immersive audio and the way we consume audio today we consume most of our audio through headphones that means that your inside your head becomes the opera house or the or the scene for the audio to play out and at least podcasting also in terms of how for example true crime podcast has been kind of exploding as a part of the podcast uh, wave and that's where it starts to be really interesting, especially with immersive audio, the way you can replicate, for example, a true crime story, getting all the audio experience the way it was when, for example, something happened in the story. So starting from that perspective, and where we are today with the Mono, we still have this kind of this mission of um, putting the listener inside the story. That's kind of our main purpose. But also on the content creator side, make it as easy as possible. So... And uh, yeah, I think we've come a long way now. And I mean, the first customer had the product in their hands, testing it out. And we got a good revs from that. They're pretty kind of jaw-dropping experience of them. Just taking the pneumonia sun capsule, pushing one button. I mean, you got like 15 seconds seconds to set up anywhere. You don't need a studio or, or even competence on audio. So it's just like 10, 15 seconds set it up, push a button, start recording, and, you know, get the dialogue going. 
wherever you are. Then just one push of the button, you're done. And then it automatically buffering everything to the cloud and you can listen to it. And there you hear the audio in the same fashion as it was recorded, being in, you know, in Amazon's jungles or just at a coffee shop in your neighborhood. So it's, uh, I think it's really powerful from that perspective. What we'll give in the hands of, of the storytellers. I'm curious in what your your take has been or how you've seen the technology mature and sometimes in exponential fashion, especially with your time at Cisco and WebEx. And obviously, I was in corporate for 20 years, so I'm very familiar with WebEx meetings <laughs> and the quality that we experienced during those times and how that's probably changed. I don't know if it's the same equivalent or the parallel as we see with Moore's Law, but you know, do you see an exponential change in what was available and, and how this is something that you're able to do now and maybe, you know, 10 years ago or something that the, te- the technology just wasn't there for this type of quality? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you're getting more access. One thing is being, you know, building the AI and the algorithms, but also if you look on the, on the hardware side. So one example for, for the Mono is the importance of the Bluetooth and the Bluetooth standard, how that also be progressing. And there's so many factors around it, you know, lower power consumption, so you don't need too much battery power, uh, you can have shorter charging times, but also the audio quality of Bluetooth, the accuracy of it. So there are some factors there that wasn't like five years back in time in place, and it's continued to develop as well. So you get more accurate positioning of your Bluetooth devices as well with the new standards. So that's kind of one of the trends that's at least helped uh, the Mono. But then also you have the tools in the cloud where we built the AI the way we can leverage that in a different way now than versus a few years back in time. And kind of the sum of it creates, at least from our perspective, a really good experience that we weren't able to maybe create in the same fashion like three to four to five years back in time. And that's one. So, But, you know, I think working on the B2B segment, like in video conferencing, was always been a big inspiration, and still is, is to follow the consumer side of the world because that also has a big effect on the business of the B2B world the way how we experience things. So, um, not to but too much credit to Apple here, but because there's pros and cons with that. The pros is the way it's been pushing technology and getting the users used to good experience and also putting a good user experience and design and also the, the interoperability between things in a good fashion. The con, of course, is that it's pretty hard to keep developing your own technology close to, to Apple. I mean, it's, it's David and Google kind of battle, but I still think it's a, it's a pro, at least from the perspective where I come from, that the, through the Apple products, we are fostering the whole world, so to, to adopt to new technologies in an easy way, but also leverage new technology that creates hopefully a better life, life experience. And what they are driving is also pushing on the component side and technology side, things that we can harvest and then combine and building our own very call it laser focused products and solutions that are of course way too corner case or too small market for even the big players to go into and that kind of opens up an opportunity at least for us who are very big fan of doing startups and combining bleeding technology into yeah into new solutions and experiences so talk to me if you could uh, rewind the clock back about four years when you are coming up with the idea for Nemono and thinking about who might be the best person to co-found this with and how to start building that team. So as an entrepreneur myself, I'm always curious about how teams are built and how decisions are made for who is the best people to put in place for the vision that you have. So I'm, I'm curious what your thought process was back then. Yeah, 
I think the key thing is over the years, the people you work with to ensure you have a good track record. And it's so important to build people up and help and support them. So because you never know in the future who you're going to work with or who you would like to work with or who has the competence. So I think that's super important. And for me, that has kind of succeeded at least twice. I mean, former company that I was CEO for, Hudley, 4K AI-driven web cameras or video conference cameras. That was a former colleague of mine who started that company and that I hired in for university and he worked for me in, like in five years' time. And then he jumped up and did that company keep going for three years and then he asked me if I could kind of come in and help him with the company and that was a great adventure to do that for uh, less than three years and Numon was kind of similar as well Alden my co-founder he was also a guy I hired from university back in the days and he is a PhD so he was very skilled in doing research in my department back in the days on all everything microphone arrays so fast forward now to 2019 and a little bit earlier he kind of asked me if I knew somebody that could help him because he had this awesome technology that could capture audio automatically for, for spatial audio or for, for this. And um, I thought for a while, not too, too long, and I, because knowing Alden and his experience and skills, I mean, from my perspective, it's probably top 10 in the world I've met in general in senior processing audio. So having him asking for help was kind of a big uh, opportunity. And I looked into it, I went up to the. <laughs> And it's pretty funny. It's kind of, you know, we talk about the garages and stuff like that. And this was like down in the basement in a dark room in a recent issue up in Trondheim, which is in the middle part of Norway. And he showed me this Frankenstein solution has built <laughs> with his coffee mug and everything. He was standing super proud, like it was his own baby. And I went like, what, is, <laughs> what the hell is this? So, but then we did a recording and I got a listen and experience and that kind of, that's what I like about this because that started triggering my brain about, okay, the opportunities here. So uh, and in the beginning, it's almost like a pretty big challenge there because you can see so many opportunities with the solution. Yeah. But then you need to balance them. Where are the world today? Because in the first place, we look at it. This We said it could be awesome, this technology for, for the XR, like the VR and the AR, 360 video and what have you. But if you then, as I mentioned earlier, if you look on the consumer side, we're not there yet. And we're still four years away from that. We still haven't received our Apple glasses. We haven't started consuming media on a higher scale at the moment. There are some early adopters using Oculus Rift and stuff like that. But on, kind of on the mainstream level, like podcast, that is being really consumed. The main, it's kind of a standard media form at the moment, just like reading um, web pages or stuff like that and look on YouTube. So at the time, we saw that it was going to be so far away. So that's when you need to kind of start looking closer. Okay, with this technology, what can we really uh, leverage it? And that's back to also mentioned about looking into the, to the uh, audio capturing workflow, how we record audio. And we just noticed that it's even complex just doing a simple mono recording or even a stereo recording. And we started to dig into that. And we kind of did some changes to the technology to adapt to, to that kind of first focus. But, you know, there's no limitations in the technology we built into the Mono to also take that leap into the XR world when we see that uh, there's a big push there, adoption. Now, potentially, that will happen, happen a few, maybe a year from now, when you have your Apple glasses and start to consume at least media uh, through those. So, uh, yeah. What's interesting is I'm curious about that, that thought 
and the discussions around form, around the function of the, the how it's contained in a in a really nice unit, and how what that thought process was like to think about. You don't want to over-engineer the thing, right? You want to make it very accessible. You want to make it nice. You want to make it portable, because obviously those are all the things that come to mind when I see Nimono. And I'm curious how many different iterations you went through before you decided at the final and you arrived at the final form function. Yeah, it's so important with advanced technology that it is experienced as very easy to use. And what is super important is to be inviting and also being understandable. And that's also a little bit back to the Apple metaphor, or maybe the Apple dent on this in terms of... <laughs> yeah, ethos, yes. So I think that's the pro here in terms of making it easy, because under the hood here, I mean, we, it's like 12 microcontrollers. It's the most advanced product I've been involved developing. And they're Bluetooth and batteries. And, you know, it's the way we combine it. I haven't experienced a product that has done this kind of combination of at least those 12 microcontrollers, the embedded software running there, but also the chip we're using. It's not. It's also kind of bleeding edge chip. And that's a risk, of course, because there are new chips in the market. So they haven't been kind of, maybe all the bugs have been kind of uh, found and solved. But so make it inviting and, and easy to understand. And coming to this form factor, I think we had another concept in the early days, but uh, this form factor, this is kind of called the second one. And then over the different building milestone and with the user testing and some ideas around, you know, solving things in a better way, most likely been kind of optimized, more optimized in the way how you have this uh, charging case with this top lid you lift off. Very similar. If you're lucky enough to experience room service in a hotel, it's kind of similar (laughs) how then the, the base of this charging case is becoming kind of a, what you call a serving plate, so to say. So when you open up, you kind of get the technology served in front of you. And it's very easy to see where to kind of grab the small uh, Stella mics, the Lavier mics. They're easy to, you know, ergonomically grab out of the case. You feel this a little magnetic that keeps them in place. They're kind of being charged here automatically. There's a clip on it. And we kind of use to see clips and use clips. So that means that anybody can take their own mic and use them themselves. That makes also back to the setup time. There's nobody that needs to mic you up with cables or getting under your shirt with a cable. It's so easy just to clip it on that. So that, I mean, that's an aspect of it. And also, of course, the brain in the solution is the, is the space record itself. I mean, it has a display just to show the status. So you can be cool and see it's working. And you can just push one big red button as for record. And that's it. And the display then goes over to show in the recording time. You can see also, of course, the range and the battery of your Stella mic. So that gives you kind of at least a control you need to be relaxed because we've designed a product to, you can monitor the audio. So there's an output on the space recorder. But we see that people most likely just use that once because we want to build trust to the technology and trust to our product. That means you don't need to use headphones because you don't have any gain levels to adjust. We do that all for you. And it's lossless audio quality, which means usually when you monitor, you want to make sure you don't kind of get too high peaks or, or out, out of the level. So we do it automatically. And that also improves the quality of the dialogue you have. So when you're sitting around our solution, the technology hides away when you start using it. And that's, I think, a super important point. Because then you forget about the tech and then an interview or a dialogue can then become more, more warm and more natural. 
and you can also just sit in a sofa. You don't have to be in a studio. So, I mean, these are kind of the sum of a lot of details. And the sum of it is, I mean, the product looks kind of easy in its shape and form. And the way it's used is kind of easy. But that's a classic one. When it feels kind of easy to use, there's a lot of work behind the scenes there to make it very intuitive to use as well. And, you know, you don't have to think about, you know, storage time or SD cards yeah. or hard drives because everything is being stored automatically in this, in the space recorder. And everything is also being stored as a backup in, in the cellar mics. So for any reasons you lose connection or something like that, it's still being stored here. So that's also giving some more trust to the user in terms of resilience there. And as soon as this one gets on the Wi-Fi network, it starts to buffering up to the cloud. So that gives you also what you call a backup as well. So you don't have to think about where to connect it, how to use that, etc. So that's also part of kind of make it more uh, yeah, ease of use and uh, usable. Yeah, it's really interesting. All the things you've given some thought to because I've been podcasting since 2014. And for the most part, I've done a lot of remote recording interviews. In the beginning, I wanted the video. So I used Skype with Call Recorder, which was not the prettiest solution. Thankfully, uh, the services like Squadcast, which we're using today, which is actually buffering to the cloud as we're having the conversation, and it's lossless audio. So even if we have a bad internet connection, we won't hear that in the final. And I think specifically with podcasters, I, I think there's always a, a concern about the tech getting in the way. And I, I, there's, there's a huge question when people are, one of the first questions people ask when they're in a room with multiple guests is, you know, how do I avoid the bleed? And how do I avoid the crosstalk? And it's something yeah. that it seems like you gave a lot of consideration to when building Nomono. Yeah, so that's, you know, as soon as you have more than one microphone, you get into all this complexity. And these are the things we have kind of control over. So we have automated and take away the crosstalk, so we call it crosstalk reduction, but also the bleeding part of it. And also the things like room acoustics, because you never have control over that. And also distance between the person talk and the microphone. And I mean, and that's kind of what we call at least the basic step to secure that the good, good quality on that. And we kind of automate it. But then you also have when you talk as well, you do pauses. Maybe you make some humming words or that's not humming noise when you think. Maybe some backgrounds. And these are things we also automatically take away and reduce. So I think today we have around 12 different AIs working. And one, of course, being for the cross-talk and bleeding, but also for, for denoising in and levels, etc. So, And this is just the starting phase. So we have pretty cool things coming on the roadmap further along that will also continue to kind of improve audio quality as number one focus, uh, but keep also in mind to reduce time for the podcaster or reduce the complexity as well. Because we see a lot of people are with the editing tool are sitting and doing some uh, cut and paste on the audio files where there are pauses. We already kind of included a way to kind of mark up while you do the recording. You can just tap on on our companion app on the phone. That makes it easy afterwards when you did this recording. Let's say you had a, like a two hours talk, but it's like only 15 minutes or 30 minutes you went out of that. While you did the recording, you can just tap on the iPhone and you get a marking on the audio file. So when you go into our web app in the cloud, you have these time markers there and you can, oh, that's true, because it makes it so much easier to navigate. At the same time, if you're interested, you know, if you're more than one people working on a, on a project, on a podcast project, uh, you maybe have an external customers to want to review it, or even the person that you interviewed might want to kind of have a listen to it before you do too much work with it. So in our web app, you can just uh, invite people with a web link, email link, and they can just come right in like a collaborator into your audio file and make comments. 
where they can mark a certain time frame of the file and make comments. And then you, as the host, can then choose to kind of delete that part or make a comment back for different reasons. So we also kind of include this phase as well, because we look today, especially when you're a larger podcast project, that part is also very complex of the workflow, how you communicate around your project. So we built everything around the audio file being the backbone. So that's where you add the metadata, you add the comments and everything. Then that creates kind of a log file as well. So, so I mean, it doesn't have to be many people working on a podcast project before it starts to be complex. You know, did I send the message to Slack? Was it an email? Or where is those comments? And also you need to describe so much, you know, 312 in there, could you do, do, do. Where our solution is just to click and make a comment. So, and that's also something kind of we copy from other tools. Like if you used to use, the G Suite with the Google Docs and, and these kind of behavior you get from that. Exactly, collaboration. And uh, there's not that many audio tools that has that built in. There are a few, but not that many. So that's also kind of a part where we want to wanna help out for the users. When you were designing the, the form function, obviously there's a couple of considerations and you decided to go with four microphones. Was there any consideration given to a, a smaller setup or a smaller configuration, or is that something that's happening in the roadmap as well? So this is the funny part when you work with a product and technology. In some way, you need to kind of get into a product that cover most of the scenarios. So you want to make sure you don't cover everyone because if you do that, you kind of fail uh, because then you take on so much cost and complexity. So you need to get into what you think will be the 90% of the use cases in the first place. The cool thing with working in that process is that you also get a lot of kind of new product concept or new opportunities. And those are the ones we put on our roadmap. So that we put out in time. And then when we release this product in the market, we will measure and get a lot of feedback and measure the use of it. And then the other ideas we have on the roadmap, we can start to kind of optimize, take away, or even kind of bring forward if it's a, if it's a big ask. And I mean, our first product is $3,000. So it's, I mean, from the professional perspective, that's not expensive because as of today, they usually have equipment themselves with both uh, recorders, storage, microphones, and what have you, for more money than $3,000. But on the other side, you have a lot of indie podcasters starting maybe with the $100 microphone using their PC or Mac or even an iPhone. For them, of course, that's too much. So there's a gap there, and of course, we see that. So that's also an opportunity for us to start looking into that, call it that opportunity in the market. But for us, once again, super important is the ease of use and high-quality audio files. So... We're not gonna gonna sacrifice that, but yes, we can do other things that put us in a lower price point, Jose. And uh, one big inspiration for me has always been this is a different market, though. But the way they have done it is uh, DJI drones. So think of the first DJI drones, pretty expensive at the time, but they were also targeting the professionals, where you could have a DSLR camera hanging under a drone, being very professional. Uh, we're not really there with the sound capsule because it's all self-contained and designed. But then I can see how DJI has been kind of developing new drones and uh, lower price points for bigger market. But they kept the AI, the smartness of the drones. They kept the quality of the drones. Yeah. So we had a similar thinking for the Mono as well. But then again, as a new brand coming out into market, especially the audio market, where there's a lot of religion around different brands of microphones, it's super important to start at the highest level you can. So while we've been developing our microphones, we've been measuring our performance against the, the highest high-end love microphones from Sennheiser and DPA, for example, and even Shure. 
to make sure that the, the performance are expected as these more expensive microphones than ours, but they're expensive. I mean, these are the ones in the toolkit for the professionals today. So we can't be any less than those as well. So it's, uh, we have some that compared us to, to what we call consumer wireless microphones. They are DJI have one, for example. Also, Rode Go has one. But it's not a really fair comparison for them <laughs> with our microphones because our perform on a different level and that means a more professional level in terms of quality. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there are a lot of opportunities out there, especially in the oldest space. How did you think about which areas to focus on? Did you, when you were creating, when the mono was being prototyped and, and being built, did you have podcasters in mind or are there other industries, you know, coming from your Cisco WebEx days? Were you thinking that there was going to be a, a business use case for this as well? Yeah, we pretty early on, I mean, when you do your market research pretty early on, you kind of start to look into the opportunity with the technology and the solution you have. And from our perspective, it was almost like a no-brainer for the podcast community. And it comes from that that's where you have a lot of storytellers. And most of the storytellers, they are, and the creators, they have almost no audio competence. And if they have audio competence, uh, usually they have spent a lot of time to train and learn or be around in communities and asking and, you know, trail, uh, testing and failing to get where they are today. And it's, it was kind of, you know, kind of, kind of tough to see from, from our side how, how challenging it is. So that was also a big motivation to get going in targeting the podcast market first with our product. But there's no limitation for technology to be used into other areas. So one is uh, for video recording. So getting in. So that's, and we, I mean, we already see, we have some part of the customer that they were supposed to use it for podcast. We don't limit them to that, but that's what they said. Yeah, we'll use it. But then they send us some video shots where they use it in a film production. Wow. So, yeah. So they have them put the Stella mics on the shirt, but hidden behind instead of using loves. And the space recorder has this uh, insert screw on the bottom. And they just um, screw that on top of the, um, the camera and start using it for that. And then they just had our order file <laughs> being processed in our AI, high quality. And then they just had the video file and took it together, time coded, boom. Then they got the really good audio quality for that. So, once again, I mean, we're not setting any limitations there, but at the moment, the focus where we see we can give the most value and help most of the users. And for now, it is the podcast, but there's no limitation to what you can use to. And that's so interesting now getting the product into the market, start to see how and where the customers are using it and the feedback from them in terms of what they would like us to see us to improve or just kind of give us some ideas about uh, next step, so to say. How different or similar is this technology to what's being used in the spatial audio, which you referenced earlier, and some of the work that uh, Dolby is doing, for example, with Atmos? Yeah, so I think for Dolby, you know, with the Atmos, which is, keep in mind, though, when we started the company four years ago, you didn't have spatial audio on your Apple iPhone or AirPods. Yeah. But that was something my co-founder, Alden, and the team had kind of foreseen when I started researching on how to capture spatial audio and it's so great to see and you know, at least during the days when you invested a lot of money and time in it you're getting these proof points so one of the proof points was that Dolby Atmos was being released the second proof point was it was also being then adopted and standardized to be used on the Apple devices so that's back to I mentioned earlier about you know following on the consumer side was happening and kind of gets proof points there 
So that's really good. And the challenge, though, with, with the Dolby Atmos format is to create content on it. So that's the challenge. So you see today, it's usually pretty big uh, streaming services or media houses that are doing music, music labels doing Dolby Atmos. And then Apple Music is being one of those who are pushing and, and kind of remastering, but also doing recordings. And to do that on a high quality level today, you need probably to invest around $300,000 in a Dolby Optimal Studio and certified by Dolby to ensure that. And the good thing with that is they're putting really high value on getting high quality. But then there's a, such a big part of, of the creative community that doesn't have access to that kind of money or that kind of studio or that kind of competence. And that's where we come in and kind of take away, because there's a bottleneck today. I mean, if you ask somebody, <laughs> how would you record spatial audio? Or how will you produce Dolby Optimus? And I don't think anybody really has an answer to it, because there is no solution today that is standardized, easy to use to capture Dolby Optimus. And that's where Nomono comes in. And still, I think we are the only ones who has a product that is self-contained, out of the box, one button to push can capture Dolby Atmos. And that's enabling, once again, all the storytellers to be able to do that. So it's not only for the rich and few in the, <laughs> in the big, uh, big media houses label as well. So that's, I think that's really powerful. And just to mention also why, you know, podcasting, and that goes also back to I mentioned earlier, but you consume it usually with headphones. Yes. And we think that Dolby Atmos has a big value for podcasts than for other medias because that's where you I mean when you listen to a true crime podcast you're kind of blindfolded you just have the audio but getting the old buttons and the spatial in immersiveness that's a really awesome experience to use to get the listening side of the story because you don't have any visual content that kind of fools you or at least engage you you only have the audio and your ears so at least my experience listening to it myself it's uh, yeah it's uh, super powerful and an awesome experience yeah, one of the companies that's making pretty big strides from a podcast production perspective is a company called QCode. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they've released a, several true crime and, and similar type podcasts. And it's fascinating when the first time you hear it, because you hear a sound that's coming out from the right side of your head, and all you have on is your headphones, and you actually are turning <laughs> to see. <laughs> so you're yeah. feeling that it's almost like a visual, it's like a theater in your head, which is an interesting experience if you've never experienced it for the first time. Yeah, I mean... There's also a lot of different software AIs that kind of fake spatial audio. So you can take a stereo file and kind of record in. And, and also you have on the reproduction side, like the headphones and the solution used for that, that can also kind of fake the spatial effect on it. Yeah. And I think that's fine for people to experience. Unfortunately, you can't compare that to true spatial audio when it's been recorded in spatial from the get-go all the way to the listeners. Because there are still some artifacts with what we call them. I wouldn't call it fake special, but there are some artifacts that, that can't be, yeah. So, yeah, I have a pretty funny story driving the car, listening to, I have Dolby Atmos uh, in, in the car. So <laughs> I was listening to this true crime podcast, and there was a sound effect of a car, a taxi car crashing in that podcast. Oh, wow. And, you know, the yeah, yeah the brain was like millisecond. I was looking over my right shoulder and, oh, damn it. I just, I just pulled myself there. But I think that's a good thing in showing how kind of immersive it is. From that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It should probably be a warning that you probably shouldn't be listening to this while driving a car. Then. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, Jonas, and this is obviously not your first time leading a company. 
How have you matured? How have you grown as a leader with this new team? I mean, it's it's been interesting times. And I think from an experience perspective, very unique to be able to build a, a bleeding tech startup through a pandemic yeah. with all things happening there. And also now, the, unfortunately, a war in Europe over the last year as well. So you got to keep in mind that a lot of developers based in Ukraine and there's a lot of tech startups in Europe who are working very close with the skilled engineers in Ukraine. So it's really sad to see what's happening. So, But you know, building a company, building a team in, through these times has been uh, challenging but also unique in terms of a learning experience. It's, uh, yeah. So in Amono, we have been able to do this well because we started as a hybrid company from day number one. So, for example, myself and a, we are like six people based in, in Oslo. So let's just call it the southern part of Norway. And then in mid-Norway, in Trondheim, we have most of the engineering team. So another 35 people are based in Trondheim. So we kind of had that set up before the, the pandemic hit us. Yeah. As, so, and also not most, but a few of us comes from the video conferencing. So we're very used to having video calls and using video. So for us, we've been kind of following along pretty well. What's been challenging and being able to go to different parts of the world to meet customers uh, during the pandemic, that's been challenging. Uh, vendors, chip manufacturers and others, you have been able to kind of follow that closely. Um, so yeah, been relying a lot on video. And then you notice in the world how different the penetration of video conferencing has been, but also bandwidth and also the way of working is very different in other parts of the world, which has been challenging during the pandemic. And there's some part of the world you usually fly and meet them in person due to cultural differences and language barriers and what have you. So, but yeah, we've been coping well. We are we're around one year delay though. I wouldn't say thanks to the pandemic, but to the complexity around it. So, uh, but we have good, strong investors. So they have been fully understanding the challenge we had, kind of helping us financially and supporting us. And I think that's super important to have strong investors when you're building a startup that believe in your visions and uh, where you're going. But also when tragic things hit you, like a pandemic, for example, that uh, they're still backing you through those processes. So, but terms and team is always learning with new people. So although you've done it before, it's always a new start with new company, new people. But I think. The thing you learn over the years is, I think I have interviewed over 500 people plus. So start to get this kind of sense of who could be the right person for the right role at the right time. And I think that's that's most of the important thing when you build a startup is getting the right people with the right mindset at the right uh, time. Have there been some um, mentors from your, your past that have been helpful for you and or inspiring you as you've grown as a leader? Absolutely. So I have very good leaders and mentors while I was working in Tanberg. So that was when I came to Norway in 2007. So my first year in Tanberg, I think a lot of the traits I have as a leader now and the way I build companies, I learned from those managers and leaders I had back in, in the Tanberg days. And what's pretty cool to see is, I'm sure I'm not the only one being able to say that, because if you look around us who was a part of the Tanberg journey, some also reframe the area I mean, like into Video Valley. So not Silicon Valley, but Video Valley, because after Cisco acquired Tanberg, there are, I think it's around now 14 or 15 different companies coming out of yeah, those teams. So it's, uh, yeah. So it's, I think that has the biggest, uh, at least, impact on me and the way I work. But then it's also this thing you have to always learning 
that's a kind of an, an endless journey to be on. You always learn and you learn, and uh, and with new people, it's new new scenarios. So, yeah. but at least you get some tools and you get some thinking. And for me, one of the key thing is speed is everything. So I think the most important thing when I manage the company, build the company, is keeping focus on speed and making sure you have high speed at all time. That means, you know, reduce the number of meetings, reduce process, build autonomous team where people have their own responsibility to take their own decisions because that makes you faster instead of having committees or have a lot of decision making. So the closer to the problem you are, most likely the better you are to find a solution on it. So these are the kind of things to foster the team with and, you know, make sure they have and feel that responsibility, but also motivated by it. So I think, yeah, keeping focus on speed, it's, it's super important. A couple of questions as we get close to wrapping up here. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Wow. Uh, yeah. What's changed my mind is when should I retire? <laughs> <laughs> so, What's your new answer? <laughs> <laughs> it's never. Because it's too fun to be building things with people. That I mean, that's a true. Back in days, you will ah, oh, it would be nice to retire and you know settle down somewhere. But I think the older you get, you start to realize no, that's not like an end. <laughs> that's not an end goal. Uh, so yeah, more to perspective, just continue pushing on. <laughs> I saw some of the older people that are maybe one or two generations older than me. A few of them chose to kind of settle down, go play golf, or sit on a beach, but. I don't see them so happy anymore. Or at least I start to get these different diseases. While the other ones are just continue to pushing on, I think you get so much energy. And also your brain gets some training to keep up with the younger generations. And I think that's one of the learnings of the last time, how uh, the younger generation, how they adopt technology and how it just becomes a natural thing for them. Versus like what we started talking about, how we have been kind of fostering into this internet, into AI and, and crypto. So, and now we're talking about chat DPT generate. And I think right now we're once again at this, what is that going to mean in a few years? Open AI, chat DPT and board. Interesting. And what are the opportunities you can pull out of it and build something better for, for humans? And so I think if you would retire though, sit on the sideline, just watch this happening. I think that would be pretty <laughs> boring. So rather just jump into it and, you know, at the point, maybe you're getting too old and too slow, so you can't keep up with it. Well, then you might find something else. But yeah, I think that's the, that's the key thing with life. You know, just continue learning. And there's so many things happening all the way. So, and at the moment, I'm super interested about, you know, the opportunities that we can build out of the combination of blockchain, crypto, and now the chat GPT and OPI on top of it. Yeah, when you combine these things, yeah, there are some really interesting coming, I think. I'm not scared. I'm on the opposite. No, no, I think a lot of people are, are comparing what's happening with uh, ChatGPT and uh, ChatGPT4 and, and AI with the the equivalents of what happened during the industrial age and the industrial revolution, I think, in terms of the amount of change that's going to happen in such a short period of time. Yeah. What is uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? <laughs> yes, the most <laughs> that people think I'm too kind. And what's the truth? <laughs> I am very kind until uh, somebody has uh, done mistrust or been uh, <laughs> <laughs> stretching the, the rubber band a little much on, on that trust thing. But uh, I'm fortunate enough back to I'm hiring good people, work with good people and people that inspire me. And I, hopefully I can inspire them as well. So from that perspective, it looks like everything is nice and kind. But yeah, there's a very clear line where you need to be a bit more, what you call, a bit harder on things. Yeah. 
Well, that's probably how you get done what needs to get done. And it seems like you've done a lot in a short period of time with the team that you have. So it's really exciting to see. I think it's a really big innovation in the world of podcasting, just having been in podcasting since 2014 and seeing some of the challenges that the industry faces. So I think you're definitely in the right market and it's really exciting to see. And and, and uh, I'm looking forward to testing at, at some point the equipment out and see, and I'm sure there's going to be more of a marketing push, obviously, with some of these conversations are happening at conferences and, and on podcasts itself. So it's really exciting to see. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. Thank you. And keep your eyes open on the Mona for the next month there. It's going to be some pretty cool announcement coming. So be aware. Okay. <laughs> All right. I appreciate your time, Jonas. Thank you so much for the background and the history and the trip down uh, the memory lane as well. That was really fun. And uh, for people to learn more about Nimono, we'll, go ahead, we'll send them to nimono.co. Anywhere else you want to have people connect with you or the company? Yeah, they can also reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. Happy to answer any questions there. And uh, once again, Harry, thanks for having me. Good questions. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks again to Jonas for coming on the show and sharing his story and the wonderful work being done by the team at Nimono. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his full list of music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Vocaster line. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. That's V-O-C-A-S-T-E-R. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Dan Cumberland. We had a little shift in episode production. He was mentioned last week, and actually he's going to be coming on as the next episode. So make sure you check that out. And if you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with Nimono Jonas. N-O-M-O-N-O-J-O-N-A-S. And you can tag us at podcast underscore junkies. And Nimono at Nimono Sound. That's N-O-M-O-N-O Sound, one word. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next episode.